Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Why, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the Almond Cow, which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there any time, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement, and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I am joined by my glorious and gorgeous co-host, physical therapist extraordinaire and lit yoga teacher, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura, who BTW is looking fabulous with her new hair this week. OMG. OMG. I know it was, it it took some guts, got about five inches cut off, but it feels really fresh. Yeah. Fresh and ready to hit the ground running here with our first Q and A. This was sent to us, um, over the support at lit yoga Wednesday Q and A for you and Kristen from Anna Russ. Can we talk about the hand? I've heard of toe yoga and I use it in my PT practice and self-practice. Is there hand yoga? One thing my local lit instructor, shout out to Larissa Scott, says in class is to press the base of my index finger into the mat during any weight bearing through the arm. I struggle with this. How can I improve and how can you go into the physiology behind it? I'll let you start with that one, Laura. Sure. So I don't know about hand yoga, but I mean, a hand is part of yoga, especially lit yoga. We are on our hands so much weight bearing. We prepare the weight bearing through the hand by making sure we get good wrist extension. So we can talk about the hand, but really I think the physiology of the ground reaction force from the hand through up into the shoulder girdle is the big key takeaway. So when she talks about pressing in with that second med head, which is that second mound of your, it's like the reverse side of the knuckle on the palm side, 
Um, that is the kind of anchor of almost like a tripod of your hand, just like we talk about the tripod of the foot. And it's really, really good uh, because that's where the energy from the floor comes through and travels to the wrist joint in a, in a balanced way, I should say. So our wrist is in a neutral in terms of it's not radial, radial, radial deviating or ulnar deviating, meaning it's not um, spinning to the left or right, but it's neutral in that plane. And then it's an extension if we're in quadruped or plank, um, a little bit, it's still an extension in down dog, um, but it's more of it obviously when we get our shoulders over the wrist. And so if you're having a hard time, I would actually have you look up the chain because I think more likely it might be coming from your shoulder. So say your shoulder is not in its kind of centrated humorous position and it, in daily life, like you're, it's rolled forward a little bit, which is pretty, pretty common because that's what we're doing. Everything's in front of us, our shoulders, especially if you have more breast tissue. So that's another thing. If you have heavier and denser breast, the weight of that will, will pull your shoulders forward, will tighten um, the muscles or the pectorals, including pec minor, which attaches to your scapula. So all that's going to pull forward. And then when you put weight down, there's like a counter weight that we will tend to do where we roll a little bit more on the pinky side and kind of pick up that second finger. And that's to counterbalance this internal rotation. We almost externally rotate a sense in the lower forearm to counterbalance that weight distribution. But over time, that isn't going to be great on your wrist. It's not going to be great on your hands, on your elbow, and on your shoulder. So the first thing I would look at is, um, especially if, if you are a PT, it sounds like, then, then you know all this. Like, is your scapula in a neutral position when you're in plank, when you're in quadruped? Or is it slightly protracted? Because that's going to dip the humerus, and then it'll roll the pinky. It tends to roll that pinky or more of the weight on the pinky side. So first adjust your scapula and the shoulder position. And then work on looking at the looking at the second finger. You can even put like a tiny bit. I've had people put um, a quarter under there, a quarter or a dime under that, so they can practice and get that feedback. Because if you are not weight bearing well there as the kind of middle point of the the tripod, then you will tend to either roll. Most people roll more to the pinky side. A few might roll into the thumb at the uh, metacarpal joint, um, and that's not gonna be great either. So first, don't overly spread your fingers. Like a lot of people talk about spreading the fingers. It's great to just do as a stretch, but you don't wanna weight bear with a total spread. You wanna kind of bring them back in. So there is some natural um, tone, tension between um, this tripod of the second metacarpal, pinky metacarpal, fifth metacarpal, and then a little bit in that MC, um, CMC joint but it's all balanced so that you come that energy from the ground comes into the wrist itself in a balanced way. It isn't going over to ulnar side or the radial side. It's right through the center. And then that comes up through the elbow joint into the shoulder joint evenly. But if it's not even often, you have to look all the way up and see what is promoting that unevenness. And it's almost always that the shoulder is not in the best position. That's what I have to say about it. Yeah, no, I, I, as someone who suffers from intermittent wrist pain, 
I absolutely know personally, I have to look up at my shoulder. Usually it's something that's going on up there. This past week I was uh, traveling. So I was practicing on the only place I could find this big hotel we were in was this like stone floor. Think of like a, a, a pool, poolside stone. My wrist started to hurt because it was not what I was used to. I'm used to a hard wood. Um, you know, I, I took my regular mat, so it's not like I had a thin travel mat, but still I felt the effects of that. Um, I will point out when just kind of talking about the, the physiology, I was kind of painting my head, you know, sometimes it's good to see I'm very visual. And what's interesting about the wrist joint, and so I just pulled this up, you know, you can see this is the thumb side or the radial side of the wrist joint. And that's where you have an actual, you know, joint that you have, uh, that is congruous. Um, the radiocarpal, the side, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the radiocarpal is where we have a joint surface. The ulnar carpal is, is an open space. So, you know, I do think when people, and a lot of people, myself included, when my shoulder isn't doing the right stuff, I roll to that outer edge which has me weight bearing through a less stable area, I would argue. And so I think that cue to push through that, that index, you know, knuckle helps to, like you said, Laura, get that balance. It's not that we're rolling completely over. We're just fighting that urge, which starts at the scapula to roll out by pressing there you can even just kind of watch when i do that what happens at my shoulder it it kind of draws back it suctions my scapula onto the back body here i'm protracted when i do that my scapula they naturally come to sit flush with the with the uh, rib cage and so um it's a good cue although like you point out we, we don't often cue distally that's a really good one because you're looking at the hands they are right there um, and it's hard to cue the scapula because a lot of people don't really think about it or know it. But, you know, since she was asking about the physiology and it sounds like she is a, a, a physical therapist, that was always eye opening to me when I would look at the wrist joint and be like, oh, OK, now I see why we want to make sure that we're not rolling over to that side because it's comparatively speaking, there's no joint congruency. Um, so we want to get that balance, like you said, through that tripod that's going to come more. Yes, the weight will be centered, but, you know, we've got that stability through that radiocarpal joint. And then 100 percent look look up here, up by the scapula, because if you're like me, that's where you find the root of the problem. And really also think about it. in if you're thinking about hand yoga, think about it in terms of moving weight in, in different ways around the weight bearing. So like modified side plank is another great example. If you tend to always roll or a little bit more unweight that second med head, when you come into modified side plank, you might be somebody who really locks out your elbow to, and spins your forearm to create some needed stability because you're rolling more. Because if like if my right hand is down and then I put weight on that right hand and spin my torso, to face to the left, and I'm already biased to going into that pinky side. Well, I could lock out that elbow to help my shoulder, and that's not going to serve my hand, my wrist, um, and certainly not my scapula and, and shoulder joint. So put it, do like hand yoga by putting yourself in different positions. Then when we continue to come around from modified side table into table, you really want to have that connection, like one arm table, 
um, where you're really turning your torso away completely. And you've got to have that solid weight bearing so that the, the scapula is like a scaffold, a platform for your back ribs. And there's no loss of energy from the floor up to there. And that should feel really lovely um, if, you know, everything else is prepared. But, you know, just think about daily life. Most people, including if you're touching people and maneuvering, or if you're on the keyboards, you have um, your palm up and your fingers more in this flex position. So you really need to prepare. Fortunately, I haven't met too many people who have a ton of restrictions of myofascia. We, we just have so, we use our hands so much that they stay pretty um, pliable, but we still have to prepare the load on there um, because most of us are in a more flexed position with our wrist and our fingers during the day. Yeah. And uh, the interesting thing about hands too, because we don't traditionally weight bear through them. What I see a lot of, particularly when you go onto your hands, say in a, in a, to a handstand hop or um, even just in a standing, standing L position, people will, to your point, we don't want the hands super spread, but we also don't want them all stuck together. Mm. People's hands become very passive and just uh, no movement. You know, we want that slight spread like you're talking about and this ability to kind of use those hands the same way. If you stand on one leg, look down at your foot and watch how the foot is super responsive. And it needs to be, that's how it balances. Well, when you're on your hands, not necessarily in plank or something where you're more stable, but certainly a handstand, your hands should be active. You know, a lot of movement is gonna be coming. And so there is that kind of, you need that base through the palm and then the fingers become like your brakes and your, they kind of shift you from side to side. They, they almost like your steering wheel in a way um, to help you balance, you know, from the floor up. Yeah. And even if you, um, you know, are used to like in plank with your hand being more kind of flat, flatter, in handstand, you have to counter this load that's right over you in a very different way than say plank where it's behind you. And so you're gonna be having a natural instinct, almost like that trampoline that we talk about in the pelvic floor to lift away so that it's not going, like you don't feel it going compressing in the wrist. There's a responsiveness. I'm going down into my hands, but then I'm not letting all this load of my body weight continue to kind of compress my wrist. I, I respond by lifting up. And in doing that, I'm not lifting the metacarpals away, but that like, to your point, your, your, your fingers have the energy now. And then they have like little, they're like little antennas. They can control, oh, my legs are going too far. I'm going to pull back. Um, so it really, that's, that to me is hand yoga because you're, oh, yes. you're getting adaptable and strong and, and all of that. So let us know if that makes sense um, to you. All right, next question. Um, this person, Simone, she wrote me, can lit help my anxiety? Sometimes I've felt increased anxiety in other flow classes. Hmm. Um, I think that's a great question. And I think this is this this might be helpful. Sometimes you'll hear about yang and yin, and yin is like this this balance to yang, which is heated and fiery. And so often vinyasa and flow classes are thought of as being yang, very, you know, so if you tend to be um, maybe more in a lethargic state, obviously yang is good. Like you need this kind of like fire versus some people think, okay, if I tend to have anxiety, maybe I need to be more in, like I need more yin. 
which is more kind of soothing. And we obviously have heard of yin classes. And that's kind of how they actually came about was to counter this more yang practice. I don't buy into this, this um, you know, binary deviation, like there's one or the other. And here's where I'm going to like stand on my lit pedestal and say, I think lit does a fabulous job of balancing your nervous system and giving you what you need. So if you know you tend toward having anxiety, I wouldn't say go to just slow and breathing and all that stuff. What you need is a better balanced nervous system so that you can regulate the, the different variations in your nervous system. That is what lit really does. How does it do that? Well, we're doing neuromotor re remapping in every class. And in doing that, you're tapping into not just the somatic, the body, but the area of the brain that also um, has an impact on your, your somatic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system, which is known as your rest and, and relaxation or your sympathetic, which is uh, fight or flight. And finer tuning that through the movements, through the breath, through the core work, through posture. Posture is huge for your the state of your nervous system. Because if you are crap, I mean, this has been shown. So anybody that says posture doesn't matter, please don't believe them. It totally matters. And it's not just that it's better for your joint alignment. It's better for your breathing. It's better for your blood flow. It's better for your lymphatics. And it's better for your nervous system because your brain is like in a, in a skull that is only registering and interpreting information from past events, from perceptions. So if you're rounded over, the perception is there is some, there's a contraction. There's something to be afraid of, to um, be nervous about, to be fearful of, even if it's not, you know, even if you're just sitting at the desk typing, that primitive part of your brain that has an impact on the, the the hormone, the transmitters, the amygdala, all these areas of the brain that give us different signals for, you know, get up and flee or something's happening or chill out. That's all happening in that area. When your head is shifted forward, you're also sliding the skull and you are having an impact on the area where your skull sits on top of your atlas, where the brainstem comes out and becomes eventually the spinal cord. And if, think about it, if you're shutting down that area, you're compressing that area, the brainstem is signaling different things as well. It might be signaling, hey, I'm not breathing too well. This is feeling ma making me feel panic. It might signal to the vagus nerve, like, uh, it, or the vagus nerve might not be functioning as well because it comes out, it exits, exits from that same area. There's so many different impacts that your nervous system um, or that, that your body position and the way you move has on that. And then how you breathe. So if say you're going into a regular flow class, we know there's flow classes that are really intelligent and there's some that are not, you know, you're just kind of moving and you're breathing and the person's telling you instruction and they might be actually going really fast because this is perceived as like harder. Well, faster in a non-intelligent way could summon to your anxiety, like something to really be like this. You're not breathing very well. You're shallow breathing. You're trying to keep up. And then you're, you know, so it's, there's, there's multiple reasons why you might feel more anxious in certain classes, but I 
promise you that I, Lit has helped so many people with their anxiety, mainly because they told me, <laughs> or depression. The, the whole range of um, varying states of being in our nervous system. And so you can choose classes that are slower, where you're really focusing. Again, when you focus, you're also calming the brain a little bit, just inherently, because you're, our brain is taking in a, so much information all the time, and it can only filter out what it feels is important. So when we actually slow down and focus, we aren't clearing the brain, we're organizing the brain organizing thoughts. And that is actually a much safer feeling too. It doesn't feel so like ping-pongy and cluttery and anxiety ridden. There's a lot more to say, but I hope that helps and I'll let KB tune in. I love the the very last bit where you said safe, mm -hmm. um, because that to me was the game changer between what I had been going to as, as yoga. And then when I found lit yoga was to me as a physical therapist, watching that progression that every lit class does follow should follow there is a warm-up there is a it follows the you know the um uh neurodevelopmental sequence you know so we're starting on the ground we're sequence one you know we're we're getting loose sequence two you know we just on salutation a we get the body a little warmer sequence two we start to move things a little quick you know a little bit quicker sun salutation b now we're really heating up sequence three, if there is one, and then the stream, where we're streaming those three sequences together, there's safety in that. I always felt safe in my body, which safety and anxiety, I think, are so closely linked that now when I go to other yoga classes that don't follow, and this is not every yoga class, but I've been to classes where I'm like, oh my goodness, we're already here. I know my body's not ready for it and I'm pretty live, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I understand that sense of anxiety if something's going too fast, if it's not intelligently sequenced, um, can can raise anxiety. And I think to the other side, uh, yin, something that goes too slow, if you're an anxious person, your mind can wander. And then there goes, your, you know, you start your, your thoughts. So what I've always loved about lit was we are cueing smart movement. There is a method. There's a progression we follow that makes it safe. We keep it interesting. So the it's not often, if ever, that my mind wanders when I'm taking a lit class. I am focused on my body. I'm focused on my breath. I'm focused on how I'm moving. I'm focused on how it feels. I'm making adjustments. As a teacher, I'm watching and adjusting others. So you get out of your brain for a little bit and you you really do, you become one with your body and you're learning and we can take it off of the mat. And to me, that, 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 that safety translates to decreased anxiety um, as much as that neurophysiologic you know, component that you're talking about with posture, with breath, with you know, getting into a triple S where you can take deeper breaths, you can slow down. Um, so, you know, it, that is where it matters. Um, I, I, every single class is thought out ahead of time. It is not willy nilly. Um, and you can, you're guaranteed that anytime you take a class by a lit sort of specifically on the lit daily, 
thought has gone into it. It is planned for you to be safe. Now, I would not recommend, we have filters, you know, on the on the website. I would not rec recommend taking an advanced class or even an intermediate class if you're a beginner yogi, because we we level them out on purpose. We let you know the intensity level on purpose. So you can really go to where you should be. Um, and we try to guide you through our launch pad. We try to guide you um, through our welcome email series, you know, to 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 get you there. But there's just it's human nature that people ah, I can do it. Click. And then it's like, whoa, it's too much. So I do think that some onus lies on the practitioner to really meet themselves where they are and then enjoy that process of growing. I, I love it when people say, oh, my God, I'm so proud of myself. I took your intermediate level class and I crushed it because they'd been, but they took the time. They did beginner for a long time. Um, and then they got to that point where, yeah, we are constantly moving and we're transitioning, but we're, your brain is growing with that and your brain is learning and your brain is becoming more plastic. And then when the stream, we switch things up and your brain gets excited and you get out, I think you get out of that um, sometimes cyclical, I've suffered with anxiety, depression in the past, you know, in the past where the, my, my worst place to be is in my head when I'm in that space. And so anything I can do specifically, you know, whether it's, whether it's lit, whether it's going for a run, you know, whatever it might be. Personally, I think lit helps me better because again, when I'm on a run, I can sometimes get into here sometimes, but lit, I can't. So um, that's my, again, I'm on the lit soapbox. I've drank the lit Kool-Aid. I fully believe it. Yeah. And we hear, and we hear back again and again from people. I mean, I'm just, it just came like when you said safe again, I just remembered somebody who is graduating from a teacher training, who is a, uh, a psychotherapist said she was teaching some of her clients and one of them said to her, I have not felt safe like this in my body in years after one class. And I just was like, I got the chills when she told me that. And, you know, I do think there is this, like, it's like coming home to yourself and really learning. And so there's, there isn't anything random. It's really like meant to help you therapeutically in every way. So yeah. I hope that you find that to be true. And if anybody has any like personal um, stories about their own, you know, mental health and how lit has helped them, we would love to hear them. So please feel to read it. Um, please write us at support.lityoga.com. And if you don't want us to mention your name, you just want to like give a little like insight into how it helped you. You can just say, please keep my name anonymous. We would just love to hear that for our own, our own sake, but Yeah. All right. All right. Speaking of support at lityoga.com, we uh, had a question sent in from our friend Scott Brown, fellow <laughs> lit trained yogi who we love from PS. Shout out to Scott. Woo. Yeah, we love him. My question begins to the stigma of knee pain. Anymore, it seems as though the cottage industry of relief for knee pain has created an environment whereby if you experience ongoing knee pain, you must simply be doing something wrong. Despite my ongoing lip practice and other attempts to remedy said knee pain, it still persists. Specifically, I ex experience this pain when walking downhill, downstairs, or doing things like weighted lunges or squat pulses from high crescent. In approximate terms, it generally radiates from below the patella on either side, which makes me think meniscus. 
I would characterize the discomfort as acute in that in more than a few cases, it may decrease when I'm more warmed up, but it never fully goes away. While I would not expect a diagnosis to be made from anecdotes in an email, it is unreasonable to think that some knee pain may not be entirely correctable through, quote, better movement patterns, end quote, strengthening, strengthen and support of the, uh, strengthening the support structures. And if so, what metrics slash means can be used to make that conclusive determination? With great thanks, your secret, second favorite yogi, Scott Brown. <laughs> and this is tough, you know, um, because knee pain well, and, and many, many diagnoses, um, can become chronic back pain, neck pain, knee pain, I would say, argue are probably the top three. And they can be super frustrating for people who like Scott, who we know, like me, who I know obviously very well, um, are very active and very fit and very, and you know, move intelligently. Um, and so this is where I think the frustration that I see in the clinic, on the yoga mat, in the studio, uh, is that, well, I'm doing all the right things and it's not getting better. You know, the, the type of pain he's describing, I, I, we don't even need to go into diagnosis, I don't think. I think it's safe to say it's anterior knee pain. Um, where it's coming from, a, a lot of big question marks there. Could it be meniscus? Could it be the patellofemoral joint? Could it be the patella tendon? Could, you know, could it be soft tissue? Could it be referred yes 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 and yes so in answer to that you know what i've seen with with knees is odds are and this is me i'm raising my right hand here odds are you didn't always move well a lot of people like us who are athletes who love to exercise this is scott 100 scott when scott does things goes all out you know he is he has a goal in mind and he's going to reach it. That is me to a T to where I know, despite being a physical therapist, despite knowing better, I haven't always paid attention to how I moved or what I've done. So do I have knee issues intermittently? Yeah. You know, do I, when I bend down, it's embarrassing when I squat down behind somebody to do a manipulation and I go to stand up and it's like, I mean, it's literally audible in the room, not like super, everybody across the room can hear it, but you know, do I occasionally get that flare up to where, yeah, it's, it, it hurts to kneel. Do I know what I did to cause it? Not always. Um, so, you know, I think there is that frustration with pain when pain is chronic and when you're dealing with chronic pain i would argue oftentimes especially in the knee we do see it be maybe more articular cartilage you know where this is an area where cartilage wears away these are the largest joints in our body we are constantly weight bearing through them when it wears away, you can't get it back. Um, I'm not saying that's what you have, Scott. I don't know. Um, but that could be an instance where it is worn away um, and you can move as well as you want. Um, you can move at your hips. You can do all the 
quad strengthening, all the hip strengthening, all the hip mobility, you know, work. But if you do a squat, if you do lunges, that's going to flare it up. That is me. I don't often do lunges because I know they will bother my knees. The risk outweighs the reward. And, you know, what is really the reward of doing static weighted lunges? You know, what can I get that same functional benefit doing something that isn't going to bother my knees? Yes. So I'm not giving you a great answer here, Scott, except to say that you aren't alone and that I would really look at, obviously you can't tell you not to walk downstairs. I can't tell you not to walk downhill, but I could ask you to look and see what else you're doing in your um, chosen or optional exercise routine that just might aggravate it something that might be chronic because there has been a wearing away of articular cartilage that's not going to come back. Um, So what can you do to not inflame it? That's what I do. Whenever my, you know, gets inflamed, I will, I'll do, I'll do soft tissue work around the patella. I will stretch my quads a bit more. I will really watch closely how I'm kneeling. I will watch very closely, maybe more so than I normally do, into how I'm lunging. I will minimize what I know will cause that compression of the patella into the femur um, and abnormal strain across that patellar tendon. And I've been lucky enough for mine to just, it goes away and it goes away for months at a time. And then I'll do, I'll, you know, I'll do something that will bring it back. Um, what else do you have to say on that, Laura? I, I know you don't suffer from knee yeah. pain. But no. Well, um, I do know a little bit about Scott's, uh, you know, movement habits. So the first thing I'll say is, yeah, we don't need to diagnose it, but that is so classic patellofemoral syndrome, everything you're talking about. Um which again is just talking about how that patella is, you know, gliding and and how underneath that cartilage can get really, um, there it can get almost like little. I, I wanted to say, what are those little things like? Stalactites. Um, yes. <laughs> Thank you. I'm like, what are the things that hang down? There's <laughs> ones that go up. Stalactites or stalagite? Stalagite. I think it's stalactites that are high. Yeah. So the one, yes, yeah, so the ones that are hang high. That's how they are. It's, you've got like stuff like that underneath. So that could be, um, you know, any, it's just, it's just uh, in an inflammatory response with pressure and compression and that happens. So yes, A, it can get better. B, it might not ever go totally away, but I love what Kristen said at the beginning, just because you're moving well now doesn't mean for the 30 years up to this didn't set some kind of foundation. But here's the challenge. I think I'm gonna challenge Scott and anybody else, go away from the knee and do things that might not be that sexy and might not be that fun, certainly not squats and all that, but really working on rib cage mobility, working on shoulder mobility. Because I know with Scott, he had some shoulder issues and his ribs want to go forward. That tells me his pelvis wants to go forward. So all that pressure is on his knee. He of course has changed that. He's doing handstands, freehand, all this great stuff. But still there is some probably fascial restrictions in the back body and the posterior chain that is leading to some kind of drag that that is pushing down into your knee, especially when it's weighted in a decelerated way, which is going down 
stairs, going down a hill, one-legged squats, essentially like you're talking about crescent lunge. The minute you said that and the stagger, that's again, that's where the pelvis is so hard to hold neutral and think about bending and it simultaneously lifting the femur away from the knee as you're flexing it. So what you could do is something, again, not as interesting right now, but getting deep into your abdominal tissue all the way back into your back, because I bet you still have some leftover tightness there that is, even as you're so conscious and aware and so strong, is somehow playing out in your knee. As Kristen said, that isn't to say that that will take it away, but it's certainly one proven. And I think the thing to do is actually focus on some other things and then continue to do, um, you know, the ranges, strengthening, strengthening the legs, make sure you're strengthening your hamstrings and your glutes, which I know you are, but also look up the chain because if the thorax is forward and it's been like that for years to get it back on top of the pelvis, there's still, you know, neuromuscular and fascial uh, shifts that continually need to happen. So focus on some other things too. So if your knee does that little tweak, say, hmm, where are my ribs? Is my, are my back ribs broad? Can I keep that knee soft as I come up into knee extension and not, and, and not let the ribs move forward and think long in the spine? Try some other ways and get back to us, Scott, because you know, as always, we're pulling for you and we get to see you on Lip Prime. So show up to class and I'll take a look. I love it. I love it. These are great questions. We love your questions and we hope we're helpful. And please write us. You can find us on Instagram. You can direct message us and leave us a question. We, we catalog all of them. So you never have to worry, put it in direct message. I'm Laura at Laura.hyman and Kristen is KB Williams 99. You can also email us like several people did today at support at lityoga.com. Those get forwarded over to us. I just flag them in my inbox and just leave them there until we can answer them. So, you know, nothing's off the table. Uh, feel free to ask us about the body, about life, about, um, you know, experience between the two of us. We feel like we, we, we have a breadth of knowledge. We'll give you opinions. They are opinions. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, just know that we are always here for you for that. Yes. Thank you so much. And as always, we're pulling for you.